We're going to be in Genesis chapter 6. I've been vacillating all week about how far we're going to go on this. I wanted to finish this chapter. I don't think I'm going to be able to finish the chapter. <laughs> it's the, the first part of it has got not a whole lot in it, but there's a lot to say. And the, second, the last part has got a me- full message next week. So we might get out early today. <laughs> I won't count on it. <laughs> Let's go and open in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this time. We ask you to bless this time and bring out what you want us to see as we go through this section of of your word. Guide and lead in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis chapter 6, starting at verse 9. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generation, and Noah walked with God. And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, and all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, and the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Let us stop there, because the next part we get into the ark instructions. But we look at this, and God looks at the world, and it starts out with the story of Noah. Now, remember last week we talked, God said Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And we made a long discussion about what grace was. That is getting what we don't deserve. Grace is a wonderful thing, and I hope you begin from last time to just begin to understand the power of grace. Grace is what changes lives. Grace is what changes our lives. Knowing that God gives us blessings, just as we sang in that song, it doesn't matter what I think about myself or how I feel about myself or what others don't even tell me about myself. It matters what God is telling me about me. And this is a beautiful thing. We talked about the the 53 things that happened to you in the moment of salvation. We took a year to go through all of those things. And, you know, if you don't know, go back and look at it on the Internet. And if you ask me, I'll give you the handout, and you can read all the verses yourself. You know, but it's powerful to really get to know who are we in Christ. We are loved. We are sealed. We are adopted. We are sanctified. We are made perfect. And that's only a handful of them. <laughs> you know, we are loved. You know, the, the song we sang, He Could Have Called 10,000 Angels, is a beautiful song, and I fell in love with it a long time ago because it really shows Jesus went to the cross as he told Pilate. He goes, you have no power unless it was given to you. you know, and he told Pilate, I could call 10 legions of angels to deliver me. Now, we know in the Bible that one angel killed 183,000 enemy. And Jesus is telling Pilate, I could call 10 legions, which is a lot more than 10,000 that the, ta- the song talks about. What could 10,000 angels do to this world? <laughs> you know, uh, totally wipe it out. Can you imagine when Jesus is being put, being beat up, suffered for us, and being put on the cross, can you imagine the angels' reaction? They did not understand why he was dying. They did not understand why God loved us people so much that he would die for us 
I can imagine the angel, I picture the angel standing all around the throne with the full armor regalia saying, Father, is it time to, you know, he's being beat, you know, you're, you're being heard, is it time to go? And, they, and the father's saying, stand, stand still, don't move. What a powerful picture this is. God looks down and sees Noah and says, Noah was a just man. And it says perfect, but the word actually is complete. He, followed, he was made complete, just as we are complete in Christ. When we become Christians, we put on Christ's righteousness, and God says we are perfect and we are complete. Now, we as ourselves, if we look at what we are told and what we know about ourselves, we tell God, we're not perfect, we're not complete, and God says, quit, quit contradicting me. If we can really start seeing ourselves the way God sees us, and if we see ourselves the way God sees us, and then we start looking at others the way God sees them, how would that change the way we treat others, especially other Christians, but maybe even non-Christians? Are we going to reach out to love with them because they are gods? Noah, in a world of wickedness, how he must have stood out. How do we as Christians in this day and age stand out if we're really walking for God? We watch our language. We watch the shows we, we watch. We watch the, the activities in the, that we participate in. We should stick out as a sore thumb to people and saying, you guys are weird. And the world does look at us as weird because we're not out drinking with them. We're not partying in them. We're not using the Lord's name in vain. We're not cursing and swearing. We're not doing all the things they think are important. Noah is that kind of man, and apparently the only one in his generation, because God saved him and his family because of his righteousness. In the New Testament, over and over, people were told, come to God and your family will be saved. Why? Because of the influence that you can have on your family. When I got saved, I was the only one in my family, immediate family, that was saved. My great-grandmother was saved, and I found out that my grandmother was saved. Now, my grandmother, I didn't know was saved. You know, she didn't really ever talk about God when we were at her house. Not that we were at her house a lot. You know, we lived on the opposite side of the country. To visit her was a 3,000-mile trip, and we didn't do it very often. But, you know, once I got saved, my dad got saved, and then all my brothers, my brother and sister got saved, and it, aunts, uncles, cousins, people got saved. You know, and it's an amazing thing that when you get saved, if you live for God and people see that change, Eventually, others in your family may get saved. Now, there's no promise. It's not automatic because they still have a free will. Sometimes it takes decades for it to happen. Now, we always want, you know, amazing for us as humans, we want everything to happen yesterday. Now, God, I know you just did it for me now, but it should have happened yesterday. You know, uh, I want to see all my family saved. You know, I don't want to see it happen later on. I wanted to see it right away. And God will not override people's prerogatives. When Noah builds this boat, he builds a boat that can handle a large population of the world, even though they reject God. He preaches for over a hundred years while he's building a boat. And nobody responds. And he's got a son who's so bad his son his son's uh, his grandson gets cursed. 
because his son is so bad and his son gets rescued because of his father's obedience. We need to look at this. How much influence do we have in people around us? You might be surprised. You might be surprised how much influence you have in people's lives. Before you got saved, how many people did you look around at other Christians and say, that person's got something I want? Don't know what it is. I think they're really strange. I can't imagine living like them. But they have something. That person may not even know that you're influenced by them until you get to heaven, unless you tell them. We need to be those influences. We need to live different from the rest of the world. And how can we do that? Because Christ lives in us. He crucifies our flesh, and he lives out of us. And you know what? The Bible tells us he fills us so full that he overflows. <laughs> Have you ever had people get mad at you and you haven't even said a word about what they were doing? Why are they mad at you? Because the Holy Spirit's overflowing out of you and they're being convicted by the Holy Spirit over, overflowing out of you. It, it's funny to watch people you know, watch people get that way. They just get nervous. You haven't, you haven't condemned them. You haven't said a word about what they're doing. It's not your job to judge them, but the Holy Spirit is just flowing out of you and pushing around and splashing all over people. You know, and this is something Noah had. Noah's family gets redeemed and saved because of his righteousness and gets saved from destruction. How many times when we raise our kids up in the honor and nurture and admonition of the Lord, do we watch them not go through all the bad things that we went through? Now, unfortunately, they're not going to listen to us in all areas, and they're going to go through trouble just because we do the same thing. Now, the amazing thing to me when I read through the Bible is how patient God is to keep repeating himself over and over and realizing how how thick-headed and stupid I am that I need to have it repeated a hundred times before I pay attention to it. And I know I'm not alone. <coughs> and so for our kids, when we're raising our kids up in godly ways, we're teaching them, we're showing them, they're hearing God from the church and the teachers that we're listening to, and they'll still make mistakes. <laughs> they'll still go down the wrong path. They'll still try to ruin their life. And the sad thing for us as Christians, when we look at people and go, you're on the path to ruin, and they're not, they're not understanding it. Before church day, we talk about so many of the people that have been ministered into this church over the years and decades. Raised them up as children, had them from four to about ten, ministered, poured into them, and then watched them go make a bunch of bad decisions. Hopefully they come back to God later on, but at least they know the truth. And some have. We've seen some that have come back. My goal as a pastor and as, a, as just a Christian in period is let's skip that bad portion in between. <laughs> just accept God and leave out the world's time and pain and suffering and ruin. Because when we go through that, there are always consequences to sin. There's consequences for us that are even trying to follow God mostly and we sin, there's still consequences. And if you really go off the deep end, there are some serious consequences. And most of us know at some point in our life where those consequences have fallen and we have suffered the consequences for bad decisions. Wherever they might fall. I mean, every one of us will have a different place where we're looking at that. Noah lives in a time when people 
are corrupt. And this is what God says. He says, the earth is corrupt before, the, before God. You know, this idea of corruption is total rottenness. You know, basically, he's saying it's a trash dump type thing. The world he created was rotten. And this is not just the people. When Adam and Eve fell, the whole world was cursed. We live in a fallen world. Not just fallen people, but a fallen world. Storms, destruction, death all around us. A corrupted world. Animals that were supposed to live in peace together, killing each other. Some animals that are supposed to like each other, killing each other. You know, it's kind of interesting that, you know, my, I was just talking, actually, in two cases, I had people telling me that their dogs that normally got along were fighting each other to the point of hurting the other dog. What a corrupt world we live in right now, even today. And God looks down from heaven and he says, this world is corrupt. I can only barely imagine the pain God has looking at a world that he cre created in perfection and says there's nothing but death, disease, and destruction. How much is God's heart broken when he looks down at this world? And even more so in today's world when Jesus has died for our sins and he's still a broken, corrupt world and getting worse with each generation that gets to forget God. Noah's day, it said that everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Because of our sinful nature, when we do what we think is right, what is motivating us in that case? Selfishness. What is right in my own eyes is what makes me feel good. When you go to college, you've got an entire bombardment of the, from a particular mindset that says, what will make you happy is do what makes you feel happy. Doesn't matter, and they never do it, they never qualify that. If you're being happy means hurt everybody else, then you're to go out and do what makes you happy, even though it doesn't make them happy. You know, I looked at this chart that they were telling us, and I'm going, it's exactly backwards from what God says. God says to ignore what makes me happy and help make others happy. We are to build one another up. We're to edify. We're to help others. That on the, in the college level, they're taught that that's the lowest thing. That's, that's, that's the lowest thing on your priority list. Why? Because Satan is in charge of saying, make yourself happy. Do what makes you feel good. And just as we sang this morning, it doesn't matter what I feel, what I think. It matters what God says. And you know, one of, the, one of the things we learn as we grow in Christ, and I know for me, I feel better when I'm helping others. And it's not to win brownie points with God. It's not to get, you know, make him look, you know. I just feel like it's better to help others. What can I do to help somebody else grow, become more Christ-like, to be built up? And we sacrifice ourselves just as Jesus did. Jesus came to this world and he told them, I came to serve, not to be served. 
I was watching a, a show, and it's not a very good show for Christian, but it was, you know, it was about when Peter was fishing, and Je- you know, he'd fished all night and didn't come up with the fish, and Jesus said, throw your nets over, and he pulled in a catch so large it almost sank the ship. It had an interesting, interesting scene in it because it showed Jesus kind of laughing. You know, he was, he was there laughing about the reaction of the fishermen trying to get that, get that catch in. It was just so, so much super abundant. And it made me actually think, you know, it was, like I said, it wasn't the greatest show in the world, but it, it made me think, does God laugh when he gives us blessings that he doesn't think it's much that big a deal? And yet, we think it's a great big deal. Have you ever helped somebody, that, and you helped them, and it was like, it's nothing, and, they, and they're just gushing all over the place. They're, they're super excited because you just helped them. And, and you're thinking, all I did was say a kind word, or all I did was you know, give you $20 or $30, or I took you, for, you know, took you for a ride someplace. And they are just ecstatic. I wonder how many times God does that with us. Saying, you're really happy about that? I have a lot more for you. We don't seek God often enough for the things he wants to give us, and we are satisfied so often with so little. So little so often that we're just happy with. God, you blessed me. Wow, God, you just blessed the socks off me. And God says, well, I wanted to bless you all the way overflowed, but if you want just your socks taken off, that's good. No, but we don't, Noah is going to be saved. Does he fully recognize what is going to be happening? I don't think so. God says, I'm going to destroy the world. He gets to preach, we're told in Hebrews, he preaches during the whole time he's building that boat. And nobody listens. Now, when it started raining, there were lots of people ready to respond. But you know, when God starts sending the judgment, it's too late to make your decision. Our decision needs to be made before the the judgment comes, before the consequence comes. God makes a judgment. Man is living poorly. They're living cruelly. And God says, my standard is perfection. This is something important for us to understand. Because sometimes the longer we walk with God, the more we start thinking that, uh, God, you know, I've, I've got this under control. Have, I don't know if you've ever been there where you think, well, I got this under control, God. Uh, thank, thanks for getting me on the right path. I've got it from here. You know, it's kind of interesting when you teach and train somebody, and you start with the basics, and then they start getting this idea that they all of a sudden know how to do the whole job. And it's like, hold it, I got it. Oh, no, I got, I got this. How often do we do that to God. God says, I've got you on the path. I'm going, to be, I'm going to lead you. I'm your shepherd. I'm going to lead you to good pasture. I'm going to lead you to still, oh, I've got this, God. I'm on the path now. And then we look over beside the path and say, well, this path's awfully hard. It's nice green grass over on the other side of the fence. It would be softer to walk on that, on that, on that grass and on this, on this field. So we jump the fence and go walk in the grass and get lost. We need to be careful how we walk with God and stay focused on him. Because it is so easy to start drifting and start doing what I think is right. God, I've got a little bit of knowledge. Have you ever heard the statement, a little bit of knowledge is a dangerous thing? It really is. Uh, 
you know, I think I can repair this. I, I, I know how, I know the basics. Well, the problem isn't the basics. It's a, <laughs> it, it goes a lot deeper. We need to be so careful that we keep our minds and, and heart attitude focused on God. And say, God, I want to do what you want. I want to follow you with all of my heart. We're to follow God with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength. He wants every part of us. He doesn't want us to say, okay, God, I, I mentally know you, so I'm going to go do, do, what you, do what you said. There's a big difference of knowing how to do something and being able to do something. There's times I've watched a lot of videos on how to do something. I've read a lot of how-to books. And I go to do it, and it takes me about eight times longer than the book or video said it was going to take. Because I didn't know how to. I knew the basics. How do I live with God? I get to start and I get the basics. I've been, I've been studying it for, for a short 30, uh, 48 years, and I still basically only know the basics of how to live for God. We will never be able to fully understand him because he is so much higher than we are. His standards are so much higher than we understand. His thoughts are higher than we are. He is higher than we are. When he tells us to love one another, you know, we think, okay, God, it's easy to love somebody. Well, it's easy to love them as long as you love them to start with and they love you. But how about that person God puts in your heart that is, doesn't like you? <laughs> they don't even begin to like you. <laughs> and they're mean and they're nasty. And God says, I want you to love that person. Uh, nope, God can't do that. Or at least be nice to them. Nope, can't do that. They're, they'll take advantage of me. When it comes down to actually obeying, sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it's very difficult to obey God in even what is considered simple. God says, I want you to give that person grace. Now, it's an amazing thing when I tell people they need to give grace to somebody. Because you always hear the same exact words from them. They do not deserve it. And my answer back to them is always the same. Of course they don't deserve it. It wouldn't be grace if they deserved it. It is easy to give grace to somebody who is sorry and trying to be nice to you. It's pretty easy to say, okay, you know, I'm going to give them grace. I'm not going to... How hard is it when you know that person is going to do it again? Well, you're pretty sure they're going to do it again. Whether they haven't learned their lesson to give them grace. Knowing that even if they don't do it to you, they're probably going to do it to somebody else. When everything in your heart says, I, did, I, want, you to, I want you to get what's coming here. This is the, the truth of what God says. Vengeance is his. He will repay. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says God. People do not get away with disobeying God and hurting his children. It may look like they do. It may seem like they do from our perspective, but God always brings the books into order in the end. At the very end, at the worst case, they'll stand at the white throne judgment and be cast into hell because of their actions. Our job is to love them. Now, that doesn't mean that they're not going to be punished. The government's job is to punish evil. 
God's job will be to punish evil. Parents' jobs are to discipline our children so that they learn to live correctly. My job is not to go disciplining everybody else's children. That's not my job. My job is to love them, be kind to them, maybe be able to talk to them if there's a relationship on it. Or if you're invited, sometimes a single mom may invite a man to, you know, to help her with her disobedient children. Or a single husband may help ask for a woman to help to show a little loving kindness to her children, to their children that is hard to do. But you know, our job as Christians is to minister and love, to pe- love people and help them. Help them learn what God says to do. Not to judge. You know, for one thing, I don't need people judging me. I got lots of mistakes of my own. I don't need to judge other people. I've had people go, well, you need to help me in this. I'm going, I have enough trouble living my own life. I can't live your life. I don't know everything there is about it. Have you ever had somebody tell you a story about something that happened to them that's so slanted that by the time you hear the other side of the story, you wonder if you're hearing the same, same story? And the thing is, having done that kind of, kind of uh, conflict resolutions, I'm absolutely sure both people are telling, them, telling you what they think is true at that time. But they'll usually leave out that they said something that triggered an angry response back. Maybe that person started out bad, but then they said something. And they leave that part out. And you're thinking, boy, that person was awful. How could, how could, you, how could you put up? And then you hear the other side, well, they said this. <laughs> ah, OK, now we start to understand. You know, rarely in any conflict is it purely one-sided problem. Now, one person usually has more, more bad than the other, but it's, I don't think I've ever seen one that is all one-sided. Because usually the rule says that if you're kind to somebody when they're mad at you, it starts de-escalating. If you ever have done uh, customer service, you're trained to be nice to the person even though they're being an idiot. All right? You're still nice to them. And usually, not 100% of the time, but usually when you're nice in return, they will de-escalating and not be, not be as nasty. It's not 100%, but usually. We need to be that way with people. We need to be able to come and just be kind. Give grace. Give love. Forgive them. Now, that does not mean that when we've forgiven them that we're just allowing them to come back and hurt us every time we see them. That is not what the forgiveness and love is going to do. But at the same time, we're not saying bad things about them. No, we're not criticizing them to everybody we see. One of the problems that we have as human beings is, number one, we like to talk about the people that have hurt us. And the other side is there's too many of us that like to hear about those people that have hurt somebody else. And I've asked this on several times. Do you, can you think of anybody that you don't really know but you don't like them because your, your friend or, or, or relative has told you about how bad they are? You never even have met the person, and you don't like them because you've listened to one side of the story about how bad and awful that person is. If you met them without knowing who they were, you probably would like them, but because you've listened to, we have to be careful. What do we listen to? What do we fill our minds with? This is the problem with gossip. 
Uh, one thing about gossip, it does not necessarily mean that gossip is true or false. It's still gossip. You can be gossiping about somebody and telling the truth. Why? Because you're destroying somebody's life to that person. We need to be careful because when you hear that bad about somebody, it poisons the way you think about them. Well, and what's really funny is if you know the person and you really like the person, you think they're a really wonderful person, this person's telling you about how awful and terrible you, they are. And the first time you hear it, you just blow it off because you know the person. But then you start hearing it over and over and over again and it starts poisoning your relationship with somebody else because you're listening to gossip. We need to be careful. How easily are we affected by what we hear, what we see, what we feed into our minds? It's an amazing thing sometimes when you will say something, you go, where in the world did that come from? Now, this could be good or bad. I mean, either, either direction. Sometimes you say just the perfect thing, you go, wow, where did that come from? Well, you've been in God's word a lot. You've been, you've been studying God, and God has come out. Sometimes you say and do things and you're going, where in the world did that come from? And if you really think about it, it is, well, it's my favorite TV show. <laughs> Those are the words that came from my favorite TV show. Didn't realize it was affecting me. Or my favorite song that I listen to all the time. We need to be careful what we feed our minds with because it leads to corruption. We live in a world that is filling us with corruption all the time. The TV shows we watch, the movies we watch, the music we listen to, the even things that happen in churches. Amazing sometimes the ungodly counsel that gets passed off is godly counseling by Christians. And they go, well, this is what I would do. Well, I'm glad that's what you would do, but what does God want done? And this is something that's important. We need to filter everything we do through that mindset. What does God want done. In the, in the 80s, it was very pro prominent to wear WWJD, what would Jesus do? We need to put our mindset in that. What would Jesus do in this situation? But it has to become so real in us that we're not actually thinking it through. All right, I just got hit across the face. What am I going to do? What would Jesus do? No, that's way too late. You've already responded by before you've even thought, what would Jesus do? It has to be in us so deeply that we do what God wants us to do automatically because he's changing us. We are to transform our minds by the renewing of our minds through the word, washing of the word of God. We get so full of God that he overtakes who we are and he starts coming out of us. One of the great things about living the Christian life is it's easy if I do it right. If I'm struggling to be good, if I'm fighting hard to be good, I need to find out what God wants and spend more time with him. Because if I'm trying to be good, why am I trying to be good? Because I'm trying to impress God or others about how godly I am. If I am letting God change me from the inside, being a Christian is easy. Because God comes in and he crucifies our flesh. Now, the crucifying of our flesh is not fun. If it was, it, would be, it wouldn't be crucifixion. Our flesh does not like to die. We feed our spirit more and more. We follow God more and more. And he crucifies the flesh. And the flesh 
just as everything else does not want to be killed. It fights and puts up a strong battle against it. And it will be, do I keep putting God in it? Do I keep letting God change me? When I am baptized into Christ, he will change me. The Holy Spirit will make me better from the inside out. And I've, I've told people, going, I'm really having a hard time living the Christian life. I'm going, let God do it. Let God change you. Release it. Over the years, there's been times when God says, do you want to get rid of something? And they'll tell you the truth. I'm just like you. No. <laughs> I, I like it too much. I'm not getting rid of it. And God comes back later. Are you ready to get rid of it? Nope. Like it too much. I'm not getting rid of it. Well, the problem is every time you tell him no, he makes things harder for you. So eventually he's going to win. And you know, the amazing thing is, everything I have given up that God has asked me to give up, I get to the point very quickly thereafter, I look back and go, why did I ever want to keep doing that in my life? And sometimes it's not even big things or even simple things that God asks us to give up. You know, God wants the best for us. And sometimes he'll come in and he'll say, I want you to give this good thing up because I've got something better. And I go, oh, God, I, li I like where I'm at. It took me a long time to get here. This is good. And God says, I've got better. How many of us settle for good rather than best? Most of us. It's some area in our life have settled for good rather than best. Now, we still, unfortunately, have a lot of bad to get rid of as well. But, you know, we need to get to this where we say, God, I want what's best. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. The more I seek God, the more I will want what's best and get what's best. But it's easy just to get satisfied. Okay, God, I am so much better off than I was last year. I just want to stay where I'm at. And God says, no, I've got better. Oh, God, you can't have better. This is, this is wonderful. And he takes you into the better. And then he takes you into better. And then he takes you into better. We'll never get to best until he, until he takes us home. But he'll keep getting better. Satan wants us to satisfy. If he can't stop us from becoming a Christian, he wants us to be satisfied with good. Because good will stop us. We're feeling good. I'm happy. I've got what I want. And, and Satan says, okay, just stay right there. Because what does best and better do? It takes us serving God more and more. It gets people seeing a different lifestyle. And God says, this is what I want you to do. I want them to see. We all know people that we look and say, wow, they've, they've really got it all together. Now, they're being told by God that they don't have it all together. They've got more to go into. But, you know, one of the things about this is God is so much more. He has so much more for us. If we can get close enough to God that we're almost there, he'll probably take us home like he did Enoch and, and Elijah. So, okay, guys, you don't have to die. Come home. I don't think I'm going to get there. The rapture may come before then, but that's not because, because I've gotten there. It's because he's taken his bride home, period. We need to be looking at this. God is coming back soon. How much time do I want to waste? We need to live like he's coming today. That means sharing the gospel with people. That means doing what's right and doing what is honorable. We can make plans if he's not coming because, you know, we've only been saved for 2,000 years that he's coming. We're closer today than we are, were yesterday. 
We're seeing a world that is very close to everybody doing the things that know his day, everybody doing what's right in their own eye. Violence is rampant. We're getting to the place where somebody says they're going to do something and you, know, you can't even believe what they say anymore. People are very evil, very violent. Are we at the days of Noah yet? I don't think we're quite there, but we're awfully close. We had the foundation laid for a one-world government. We had the foundation laid for, for no morals and God being totally rejected. Jesus could return any moment. Are we ready for his return? Are we? Because I hear people, well, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll turn to God later, later on when I'm older. When, I, when, I, when I've had my fun, you may run out of time. We need to keep that in mind. We may run out of time. Our family and friends may run out of time. He could be back any time. We could die any time. None of us are guaranteed a, any life either. We all know people that have been, who died young. We read about them all the time. We see them in the newspaper all the time. You know, every one of us, when we leave today, are planning to go home, have dinner, do whatever we're going to do today. But eight, every eight seconds, somebody dies in this, in this world. There's no guarantee it's not us. No guarantees that it's not us, no matter how young or old we are. We need to be ready to face God. We cannot put it off. God, I'll serve you tomorrow. You may not have tomorrow. God, you know, I just have to do whatever. God, you know, my job is very important to me. I need to get my retirement all set up before I, before I can go and be a missionary. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. I've got to get all my kids raised. I've got to, I've got to get this part in, in, in order. You may not have all of that to put in order. We need to be on that. I don't know if it's you know, morbid about it, but it is true. Jesus is coming soon, and none of us are getting younger. You know, none of us are getting any younger. Even for the kids in here, you're not getting any younger either. <laughs> you know, we need to be aware of this, that destruction is coming. God said, your people are so evil, I'm going to destroy the world. Now, that's pretty evil. Because he's put up with a whole lot over the, throughout the scriptures. The people got so evil, he was ready to destroy them. And in this case, he did destroy all but Noah and his family. And two of every kind of animal was put on the ark, which we'll talk about next week. God's grace was to not destroy all of civilization. His desire was... But he says, there's one man here that has shown me honor. What holds back the evil in our day and world? Us Christians. Even for those of us who aren't very good Christians, we still hold back evil because we don't fully agree with everything that's going on around us. The world is getting worse and worse with every coming, every coming day, every coming year. But imagine how bad it would be without Christians standing up and saying, no, it's wrong. No, we, we can't allow sin to rule. When God takes his church out of this world in the rapture, Satan has almost free hand. He's still, he's still under, under leash with God because he can't kill the whole world, but he's given a great leash where evil will run rampant. Nobody out there saying, no, that's wrong. 
No, God's got a standard that is wrong. Evil will be rampant. The strong will abuse the weak, and the weak will be totally hurt because there will be nobody saying no. This is the world that's coming. This is the world that Noah lived in when God destroyed it. It's the world that we're coming to. And it's interesting how close we are. If you watch some of the news reports, these riots, people hurting each other, harming each other, not thinking twice. Murdering millions of babies through abortion. Murdering in euthanasia now in many countries and in many states. Killing the old just because they're getting old. We have a world right now that is death-oriented and does not look as life being a gift from God. How much further can we go before God says enough is enough? I don't know. We're close. We need to take that serious as Christians and say, God, help me to open my mouth and talk to people. Jesus came to this world to pay the debt of sin so that people could go to heaven. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. He died so that we could have life. We were created to have life. Adam and Eve sinned, and we are born from that point dead. We, our spirit is dead when we're born because of the fall of man. This is why Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. The spirit needs to be made alive. And when we become Christians, we know that that's what happens to us. Our spirit is made alive. Now I can start to make good decisions because there's something that's relating to God and his word that says this is what to do. It's not all my emotions and my feelings that drive me. Before we're, before we're saved, we don't think what we're doing is wrong. We're just having fun. I feel good doing it for a little while. I may not feel good after but I feel good while I'm doing it, and that's all that I'm driven by. The world is driven by selfish desires. Do what makes me feel good. When the Spirit comes alive in us, we do what God wants, and that is to minister to others and help make them come to Him, help make them feel better about, about what's going on in a way that lasts. This is where we're at. God is going to rescue these people or make an offer to rescue them, called the ark. Jesus is, is matched up to the ark. He is the way for us to get away from the destruction of this world to coming into him. What a powerful picture that we have here. You know, and as we're talking to people over the internet, we were, and maybe even in this room, if you don't know Jesus, today is the day to, to turn to him. Not tomorrow, not next week, not, not a year from now, not a decade from now, but today, turn your life over to him. How do we do that? We just say, God, I am a sinner. I repent. I turn away from my sins. Come in and live in me. We turn from our desire. We recognize that they're evil, and we turn it. And he comes into our life. He will help us get victory over our sin. Whatever sin is plaguing you, God can give you the victory over it. And each one of us in this room, even as Christians, have something in our life that plagues us, that we have trouble getting victory over. And God says, surrender it. Surrender is an easy thing to do, but a hard thing to do at the same time. Why? Because I like to be in control. 
And just about everybody else I know likes to be in control. Con the only problem is control is an illusion. We are never in control. We are obeying somebody. We are either obeying God or obeying Lucifer and the, and the, and the unseen demons or our flesh. We are not in control. Control is an illusion. If I'm going to have to an if I'm going to have anybody in control, I want to be under God's control because He has my best interest at heart. Satan in the flesh does not have my interest at heart. They want me to do what makes me feel good in the moment, and take the consequences because we don't think about the consequences. Satan never tells us about the consequences. The flesh does not have us think about the consequences because if we thought about the consequences, we would not do what we're going to do. We only think it will make me feel good for a little while. And we might even think, well, you know, I know I'm going to pay for this. The alcoholic who knows that they're going to pay for it the next day with a hangover, but just says, I'm going to have my fun anyway. I've got to stop thinking for a short period of time about what's bothering me. God says, I will give you a new mind. He says, I'm going to change everything for you. So our decision right now is, God, what are we going to do with God? Are we going to surrender to him every part of our life? You'll be spending the rest of your life surrendering to him. Don't, don't, don't worry. I keep sharing this with us. You know, uh, 48 years, I keep surrendering. He keeps giving me something else to surrender to him. And he gives me something else to surrender to him. And everyone else is smiling in here. You know you, you've been there. <laughs> you've been there. You know what it, you know what it means. You, you surrender something to him, and then he shows you. Why? Because he shows us a little deeper into our, our corrupt heart and says, you've got a lot more sin down there. I want, I want to get all of it out of your life. And you know, the hardest sins to get rid of are those ones that nobody sees. It's pretty easy to get rid of drinking and drugs and, 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 the, and stealing and, and adultery and fornication because everybody sees those things. They're, those things are pretty e hard to hide. But your lustful thoughts your bitterness of heart, your anger at people. Now, those things are seen more than we realize, but, you know, they're a little harder. When Jesus says, if you've lusted after somebody, you've committed adultery with them in your heart, how many people have committed adultery who have never actually physically committed adultery? Maybe they've done it hundreds of times because of their lustful thoughts. Well, God, you know, I just want to, that person deserves to die. How many murders have you committed in your heart? You didn't actually do them. And God says, I want to get rid of that. Uh, God, that's pretty hard. Yeah. I'm the only one that knows about it. God says, I know about them. And you might be surprised how many other people know about them. <laughs> you know, that when, you, when you're so angry at that person and everything on your face shows them that you're angry with them and you'd rather see them dead than alive, <laughs> but you didn't say anything. <laughs> You know, we need to be careful and turn our entire life over to God and surrender. Surrender is tough because we don't want to give up control. And we usually like what it is that God asks us to surrender, or at least partially like it. So our goal for this is turn our lives over to God and surrender. When you're reading the Word, when God hits you between the eyes about something, Go, God, help me. I repent of this sin. Help me to get victory over it. The key is to repent. 
God, I'm turning away from that. I recognize it's sinful. I want you to keep me from it. And then follow him. He will lead you far away from that sin. The problem is we don't usually follow him. We usually turn around. We're Lot's wife looking back saying, I miss it. And unfortunately, we don't become pillars of salt. We turn around and say, God, I want to go back to what I want. How many times do we repent and ask for forgiveness and then go right back to whatever it is that we were doing? We're human beings. Until our flesh is crucified, we're going to have that problem. Our desire is to keep sharing with God. How, was, how do we get victory? Seek God, follow God, and find somebody that you can have help you. We all need somebody that will help us and hold us accountable. We cannot be an island unto ourself. And there's a lot of us who are like that. I like to be that way. I like to try to be that. God, I got it. I'm, I'm, I am strong. I can do this. Over and over, God has proven that I'm not an island unto myself and I am not strong enough. I have to have friends that can hold me accountable for areas of sin. If you have something that's really hard for you to get victory over, find a good friend who's not going to share it around with everybody and say, I need you to help hold me accountable for this. Whatever the this is. This is how AA and all these programs work. It's a godly principle. That I go to somebody and say, I need your help. I need you praying for me. I need you to be able to remind me, maybe even ask me, how are you doing in this area of your life? And I love it because people go, the last question they'll ask them is, have you lied to me about what you just said? Because <laughs> you know, we still don't, even if we ask somebody to count us, be, hold us accountable, we still don't always want to tell them the truth. Because we haven't totally surrendered yet. We need to surrender to God completely and wholeheartedly. And let him be Lord and King of our life. It's a tough thing to do. But it's what's necessary to live a life that is going to be profitable. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity we have, Lord. The world is getting evil. Lord, help us to fill our minds with your word, your teaching. Let your Holy Spirit crucify our flesh. Help us to surrender and repent from our evil that we're doing. And help us to follow you in a stronger and stronger way. And Lord, if there's anybody that doesn't know you, to you, today will be the day that they turn to you. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening, friends, where will you be when you die? We ask this question of a lot of people oftentimes. And the biggest answer we'll get is, I hope I will be in heaven. If hope is your answer, you don't know God. And this is a problem. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of the sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. If you do not know for sure that you're going to go into heaven, please, today, make your decision to follow him. It is simply just ask him, Lord, I am a sinner. Please come into my life and save me and make him your Lord. If you've said that prayer, let us know so that we can send you a new believers packet. You can contact us at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or even pastor at chloridebaptistchurch.com or you can just send us a regular letter at Chloride Baptist Church P.O. Box 65 Chloride, Arizona 86431. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day.